I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 24. 34. <laughs> Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's good to see each of you here this evening. We're grateful for your presence. We do have a small number tonight. I know it's a holiday, but I didn't know it was a holiday for worship. But apparently maybe some think that it is. But I suspect that there are some people that are traveling and some are with friends and family members on the road. And so we want to pray for them that they will have a safe return. We're going to be looking tonight at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. And we're going to be talking about the state of our nation. It's not uncommon for the President of the United States to deliver what is typically called a State of the Union Address. Well, tonight we want to look at the state of America. And really what we want to do is take an inside look at the spiritual fiber, or lack thereof, of our country. The passage that was read a moment ago, Proverbs 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach or a shame to any people. I want to begin tonight. I have a couple of statements that I would like to read to you that I, I think will help to lend insight into the foundation upon which our country was built. And I really believe that as you go back and look at history, you'll find that our founding fathers, for the most part, they had a deep and abiding belief in the Almighty Creator. And they had respect for Jehovah God. And our nation was founded upon what we would call Christian principles. And so with that in mind, let me just begin by reading for you a statement made by George Washington on October the 3rd, 1789, proclaiming a national day of prayer and thanksgiving. Here's what he said. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. A second statement that I would like to read tonight is taken from the second president of the United States of America. His name, John Adams. And this was recorded in 1756. Here's what he said. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a paradise would this region be? Now, you know, that really says a lot when you begin to put into perspective from a historical standpoint what our founding fathers, what our presidents of days gone by believed. These two men believed in God and in His Holy Word. And I like what President Adams said regarding the influence of God's Word. All of us believe that 
the Word of God will lift mankind to a higher plane. If we will only take the Word of God and internalize it in our own lives and then live it out on a daily basis. I've got some other quotations that I'll read for you in just a moment, but let me just begin by talking to you for a moment or two about the condition of America. And what we're going to do is profile our nation. And there are four things that I want to share with you about our nation that I think help us to get some kind of idea of where we stand in this nation as a people. Now bear in mind that our nation today is comprised of over 300 million people. That's a lot of people. And yet, when we begin to look at every sector, every region of our nation, we have to come to the conclusion, we have to be honest, that there are some problems. And I think all of us would, would agree that right now, when you look inside America, we're not well. And there are reasons for that. The four things that I want to talk to you about tonight when we look at our nation, the state of our nation. First of all, we want to look at our nation from an educational standpoint. We're going to look at our, at our country educationally, morally, economically, and then finally, judicially. Because I really believe that these four things help to set the tone for where we stand as a nation of people. First of all, educationally. When we talk about our country, we are an enlightened nation of people. I don't think any of us would disagree with that. It's amazing the number of universities and colleges across our country that were founded by individuals who believed in Jehovah God. Many of those same institutions that were founded by, by people that believed in God are what we would call very liberal in their thinking today. If not atheistic, they are not far behind. Many are agnostic. But nonetheless, when we look at our educational systems, and when we talk about education, we begin with our young people and we move forward into college and then on into graduate school. And we understand that one of the battles that we're fighting in our nation is evolution. The idea that mankind, that this universe evolved into being. Now there, would, there are some that would say that our universe is the product of chance. Others would espouse the idea that we have come into being because of some cataclysmic explosion. And yet Genesis, the book of Genesis, the book of origins, really begins by explaining to us how we came into being. There was a first cause. That first cause was God. Here's what Genesis 1 verse 1 says. In the beginning, God. God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. In verses 26 and 27, God, the Godhead, said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The Bible tells us that God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. In Genesis 2 at verse 7, the psalmist said, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Over and over again, the scriptures point us 
to God as the reason why we exist today, why our universe exists today. Granted, Christ was the agent by which the world was made. You can read John 1, verses 1 through 3, Colossians 1, other passages that support the idea that Christ, as the second member of the Godhead, is the one who brought this world into being. And yet, despite all of that, as we think about our academic institutions across this good land, Here's what stands out to me. For people who are so literate, in the most important realm, we are a nation of people, by and large, who are biblically inept or illiterate. Now, I understand that we as a nation of people are not God's chosen people. The church is God's chosen people. The church is the Israel of God, Galatians 6. The church is that body of believers that have obeyed the gospel that belong to the Lord. They are His possession. But this country has been richly blessed. And our country was founded by individuals who believed in God, in the providence of God, and in the Word of God. I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it helps to underscore where we are from an educational standpoint. When I was in elementary school, and I went to a public elementary school, we had weekly Bible classes. It's hard to believe, but we did. I remember being instructed by my first grade teacher to memorize the 100th Psalm. I recited that Psalm before the entire student body. I remember in the fifth or sixth grade receiving a copy of the New Testament along with Psalms and Proverbs. I still have that Bible in my possession today. I say all of that to simply point out that things have changed. And one of the, one of the real problems in our country today is we have moved God out of the schoolhouse. We have moved God out of secular society, out of government, and we are paying a heavy price. Now you just think about the importance of God's Word. A moment ago, I read for you a statement made by John Adams. Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a paradise would this region be? Now you could turn that and look at it from a negative standpoint. When the Bible is removed from a nation, when God's Word is removed from the hearts and lives of people, what do you have? You have hell on earth. And really, that's what we have in America. We have men and women, young people, living like the devil. Now, the Apostle Paul said, All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We believe that the Bible is God's inspired word. When you take this book and live by its contents, what's it going to do? It's going to make you a better person. It's going to make better husbands, better wives, better children, better students, better lawmakers, better business people. It's going to change society as we know it. Now, on the other hand, if you close this book and remove it from 
our society from public life, let me tell you what, you'll pay a heavy price. You see, one of the things that Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is God's Word is profitable for correction. There are a lot of people in our world today, they are, they are moving down what we might call a dead-end street. Their lives are filled with chaos. They are unhappy. Their lives are in turmoil. And one of the reasons is because they have removed themselves from the Word of God. Listen, if you would, to what, here's what the Lord said in the long ago. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Are we on the same plane in our country, educationally speaking? Absolutely not. There are those of us, on the one hand, who believe in the Word of God, who want God's Word to be promulgated throughout this country, and there are others that are doing everything within their power, and that would start in Washington all the way down. They're doing everything they can to remove this book from society, and we're going to pay a heavy price for that. I can promise you that. I don't say that arrogantly or caustically. It's just a fact. Now, linked to this, the idea of where we stand morally. And I would, what I would do is suggest that there is a correlation between where we are educationally and morally. How do I know that? Well, let me just cite for you a passage of Scripture. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to the book of Hosea, chapter 4. In Hosea, chapter 4, the prophet addressed God's people. And really what he did, he brought an indictment against the children of Israel. Now, you and I know that God had, had given the Israelite nation His Word. They were the custodians of Scripture, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. They had the Ten Commandments. Those commandments were both vertical and horizontal in nature. They related to man's relationship with his God and man's relationship with his fellow man. Well, in Hosea chapter 4, well, before we look at Hosea chapter 4, let me just remind you that back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, God had said to the children of Israel that they were to teach their children diligently the law of God. God did not want a nation of illiterate people when it came to His Word. He wanted people that were knowledgeable. And yet when Hosea comes on the scene in Hosea chapter 4, he said, The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because there is no truth, there is no mercy, there is no knowledge of God in the land. In verse 6 he said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Hard to believe. That the very people that had been entrusted with the law of Almighty God, the very nation that had been instructed to pass on God's word, to succeeding generations that they had failed and failed miserably. And God said, now my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge. Now I said that there's a correlation between education and morality. If you look at verse 2 of Hosea chapter 4, Hosea said, there is killing and stealing and lying and committing adultery, and then he said, they break all restraint. What was Hosea saying there? Hosea was saying in the long ago that when people turn a deaf ear to the law of God, mayhem will ensue. 
immorality and ungodliness will run rampant. That's exactly what happened in the days of Hosea. You look back at these people. God had told them how they were to live before him acceptably. And here the prophet is saying, look, what, what kind of problems are we having among people in this nation? Well, we're having people that are lying. Do we have a problem with that in America? You better believe it from the president on down. We've had a problem in days gone by with lying. We've had problems with not just lying, but adultery. Look at the number of homes in our country tonight that have been ripped asunder by adultery, by people ignoring God's word, by people turning a deaf ear to Matthew chapter 19 or Matthew chapter 7, the golden rule, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. And then we talk about killing, murder. Look at, look at our nation. Look at the bloodshed that is, that is spilled every day on the streets all across America. Look at the bloodshed in Memphis. Look at the blood that's been shed right here in Olive Branch. Why is that? Because people have no regard for the law of God. You see, if, if people respected the Word of God, if they respected Jehovah God, they would say, you know what? God has said in the long ago, we're not to kill. We're not to take human life. We're not to lie. We're not to commit adultery. And then Hosea said, they break all restraint. Somewhat reminiscent of the days of the judges. When it was said, in those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Is it not the case today that we are living among people? That when it comes to a moral standpoint, they'll say, that may be your moral code, that may be how you live, but I don't live like that. If you want to live that way, that's fine, but I'm going to choose to live differently. Now, I understand that all of us have... We have rights in this country. We can make decisions. God made us free moral agents. We have the ability to make choices in life. Sometimes we make good choices. Sometimes we make bad choices. But nonetheless, we have the ability to make choices in this life. Well, there are a lot of people that have made some poor decisions, morally speaking. And one of the reasons is because their thought process has not been anchored in Scripture. They haven't asked themselves, what does God say? Now, we talk about this, this divine standard. There are a lot of people, I said just a moment ago, in our world today, they don't believe in absolute truth. They'll tell you if you want to believe that, that's fine and good, but they're going to believe something else. They'll tell you if you want to follow the Bible, that's okay, but they're going to live by something else. Let me tell you what, what our country needs to understand, and I, and I really believe that there are people all across this country that need to hear this. The only thing, the only thing that we need to use as a standard for right and wrong, good and evil, truth and error, is God's Word. That's the only standard. There is no other standard. Now, people may want to just wave it off and act as if God's Word doesn't exist. They may want to look at this book and say it's just a book of fiction. Let me tell you what, this book's going to be opened one day and everybody on planet earth from Adam forward 
is going to be judged by the words out of this book. Every person that lives in this nation is going to be judged on the basis of what this book says. Now we talk about our nation and the moral problems that we're having. We shouldn't be having a problem with abortion. Why? Because God said He hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. God's Word says that that baby in the womb is of great value. It is a human being. It has been made in the image and the likeness of God. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist said in Psalm 139. We shouldn't be having a problem with that. Now, I would say this. One of the real problems with abortion is because we've got people out here engaging in fornication, unlawful sexual relationships. And they are bearing children outside the marital relationship. Here's what Paul said. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that the woman is to marry and then bear children. It's not the other way around. There are a lot of people in our country today, they're shacking up. Let me tell you what, you can shack up till Jesus comes. And he'll burn your soul one day. That's what people need to understand. You can live that way, you can do that kind of stuff, but, but let me tell you what, God's going to burn you up in hell if that's the way you choose to live. That's what people need to hear in our country. They need to understand you can't go out here and live like the devil and expect to go to heaven. You can't, you can't go out here and live like the devil and just escape any kind of consequence. It does not work that way. What about homosexuality? It's hard for me to imagine living in a country where people at one time lived in the closet. They wouldn't dare come out and identify themselves as a homosexual. And now you've got two big burly men walking around holding hands. What in the world is that all about? You've got to be kidding me. Two men, two women together? Have we lost our mind? What are we thinking about? Now again, there are people in our, in our nation. They want to just wave off the Bible. Let me tell you what. God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for homosexuality. And here's what Peter said. He set them forth as an example to all that will live ungodly. If you think that God's going to turn a blind eye to blatant immorality, you've got another thing coming. If God were to turn a blind eye to blatant immorality, then wouldn't it stand to reason he would owe an apology to, people, to the people that lived in Sodom and Gomorrah and to other cities that faced his judgment, his wrath. Look at our nation. We are living in a nation that has been blessed so greatly. And yet, because we have turned a deaf ear to God's word, we're living like a bunch of animals. Here's what Hosea said. He said, they've sown to the wind, and they will reap the whirlwind. Here's what Paul said. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. 
You go out here and sow seeds of ungodliness and immorality and wickedness, and guess what? The rooster will one day come home to roost. Now, there's some people that want to turn their nose up and act as if it doesn't matter. Let me tell you what, God says it does matter. When we profile our nation, when we talk about these moral issues, here's what Paul said. Paul wrote the commands of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul said, be not deceived, God. Rather, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Be not deceived, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Could that be any plainer? Do you have any problem understanding what Paul is saying here? I don't have a problem with that. I understand what he's saying. Paul is saying, if you choose to live in immorality, God is going to punish you. That's what people in our country need to hear. If you choose to live that kind of lifestyle, God is going to punish you. There is a price. There is a payday coming someday. Here's what Paul said. The wages of sin is death. And we can act like this stuff doesn't, is not going on, but it is. We can stick our head in the sand and just... Turn a deaf ear to all this, but let me tell you what, it's happening right in front of us. We look at our, at our country educationally, morally, and then economically. This past week, I ran some figures. Did you know that our national debt is $13 trillion, over $13 trillion? You can Google that, and they have a, just a running count of where we are in terms of our national debt. We have over 300 million people living in this country. Did you know that each and every individual in this country is responsible for some $41,000 of that debt? That every family in this nation is responsible for a little over $100,000 of debt? Now, there was a day and time when $100,000 would buy a home. That's what you and I are on the hook for. Listen, I was looking up how long would it take to spend a trillion dollars. You ever thought about that? One writer said it would take 2,700 years to spend a trillion dollars. Bear in mind, we are $13 trillion in debt. One writer said if you wanted to spend a trillion dollars, it would take you 50 years, and you'd have to spend $20 billion a day. Did you know that we are adding to our national debt by over $3 billion a day? Here's the question. If the heat's, home, if the heat's on in your home, or the air conditioner's on in your home, and the windows and the doors are open, how long are you going to leave them open? I'll tell you what we're going to do at our home. We're going to close the windows and we're going to close the door. You can't keep spending more than you make. It doesn't work that way in business. It doesn't work that way individually. It doesn't work that way collectively. It doesn't work that way nationally. Ultimately, it's going to catch up with you. $13 trillion in debt. And we keep spending money like we, unbelievable. We just keep throwing it out the door. 
Look at the fall of Rome. Did you know one of the reasons that Rome fell was because they imposed higher and higher taxes upon her people? You can't keep, you can't keep taxing and spending money that you don't have. Our, our country needs to wake up. And let me just say this. These fat cats across this country on Wall Street and in other large corporations that have run these corporations in the ground and they have made millions upon millions upon millions of dollars each and every one of those people ought to be in jail. And the idea that we would give money to some of these industries that have run themselves in the ground is absurd. I thought the way that our economy operated was, you started a business, if that business was profitable, guess what? It stayed in business. If it was not profitable, guess what? It went out of business. You can't keep throwing money in institutions that don't know how to manage money. We've got some ignorant, ignorant, ignorant people running our country. Did you understand that? We've got some ignorant, ignorant, ignorant people running our country. And I say that with all respect. Put me on the floor of Congress and I'll tell them that. I'll say it respectfully, but let me tell you what. The proof is in the pudding. I'm not telling you something that you don't know. These guys are self-serving piranhas in many cases. We ought to throw them out of office. Why? Because they're only in it for what they can get. Now, I know that there are some people that have good hearts that are serving as our lawmakers in, in some sectors of our society, but let me tell you what, I'm not impressed with many of them. Maybe they wouldn't be impressed with me, and that's fine. But I'm not impressed with them because I see what they're doing to our country. They're running it in the ground. That's what they're doing. What are our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, what are they going to do? You keep spending money you don't have, and ultimately, you're going to pay the price. Very quickly, judicially. Let me just say this. Our court systems are broken, and our jails are overrun. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. He was telling me that, he went into a country, a foreign country, I think it was Singapore. And he said as he was flying into that country, when they touched down, they came, on, they came on the PA system on the airplane, and they said, welcome to Singapore. Drug possession is punishable by death. Have a good day. Look at our judicial system. It's a joke. We've got people out here killing, stealing, raping, acting like a bunch of monkeys. And what do we do? We turn them right back out on the streets. We've got a jail, a jail house, we've got jail houses filled with people on death row. Now don't misunderstand me. The best thing we could do in this country to those who have committed heinous crimes, put them to death. Put them to death. 
Why? Because Romans chapter 13 verse 7 tells us that we are not to bear the sword in vain. You talk about flying into Singapore. Drug possession, punishable by death. Let me tell you what. If we started, if we started strictly upholding the laws of our land and punishing people in accordance with the crimes that they have committed, what would happen? It would be a deterrent to evil doing. Read Romans 13. The problem in our society and the reason people are acting like they are today, the, we, the reason people, they don't worry about killing and stealing and, and raping and all this other stuff, the reason is because they know when they stand in front of a judge and when they are in the court of law that ultimately nothing's going to be done. Well, maybe a, every now and then something will be done. But by and large, our judicial system is a joke. It's a mockery. I read about a man out in Texas that had what he called a chain gang. That's what we need in our country. Work them from sun up to sun down. Make it miserable for them. They don't need cable TV. This man even cut out coffee. He said, they don't need coffee. You don't like it? Get out of jail. Live a productive life. That's what we need to tell these guys. The inmates are running the asylum. And, the, and we wonder, why do we have problems? Let me tell you why we got problems. It's right here. Because we don't know black and white, right and wrong, truth and error. All right, very quickly. What about, what about a prescription for our nation? How can we cure the ills of our nation? Let me, let me just say that I could... There are a lot of other things I could say, and I wish I could share more, but time is running out. But what is the cure for America? Number one, we need to pray for our nation. We ought to be on our hands and knees praying for our nation. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I will therefore that prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to pray for these guys that are in public office. Pray that they will open their eyes to God's Word. That they will become attentive to what God in His Word has recorded. And if they will not, vote them out of office. That's what we need to do. Pray for our nation. Let me just read for you a statement made by Abraham Lincoln. Here's what he said when he declared a national day of prayer and fasting following the battle of Bull Run. It is fit and becoming in all people at all times to acknowledge and revere the supreme government of God, to bow in humble submission to his chastisement, to confess and deplore their sins and transgressions in the full conviction that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to pray with all fervency and contrition for the pardon of their past offenses and for a blessing upon their present and prospective action. That was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln believed in the supreme God of heaven and earth. John Adams believed in the supreme God of heaven and earth. George Washington believed in the one true living God. What about our lawmakers today? We need to pray for our nation. Secondly, we need to preach to our nation. And there are two things I think we need to do. Number one, we need to reach out to our nation. 
Our nation is lost and dying in sin. The world is lost and dying in sin. The devil has done, give, his, give the devil his due. He's done a good job in America. He's done everything, he's done everything humanly possible to derail this country from the railroad tracks. The only thing going to save the only thing that's going to save this country is the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I would like to think that when Paul went to the city of Corinth and he began preaching the word of God, spending some 18 months there, teaching those people, that he lifted them out of the depths of sin to a higher plane of living. The gospel will do that in our nation. We've got to reach out. Jesus said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. We need to reach out to America. And number two, we need to reprove America. This is the hard part. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Here's the bottom line. There are people in our country that need to know what they're doing is wrong. That it's not just wrong, but that it is sinful. And because it is sinful, God will not bless them. We need to tell people, look, the way you're living is wrong. The way you're living is a lifestyle contrary to God's will. I would inject that even though America is not God's chosen nation, we are a nation that has been richly blessed. And for the most part, we are a nation of people that have in days gone by believed in the one true God of heaven and earth. These guys in our country that are coming in that want to be followers of Islam or Buddha or some other Eastern religion, we need to tell them, listen, you are following a dead-end religion. The teaching of Islam is not going to save anybody. It's certainly not going to save our country it might lead to the destruction of our country, but it's not going to save our country. God's Word will save our country, but it will not destroy our country. Therein lies the difference. We must pray for our nation. We must preach to our nation. We need gospel preachers today that are willing to preach the Word instantly, in season, out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then finally, we need to plead with the nation. We need to reason with America. In the long ago, Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. There's nothing wrong with sitting down with people and reasoning with them. Showing people, look, what you're trying to do, what you're espousing, what you're following, what you're teaching is wrong. This is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. This is how we need to live. Here's what Jeremiah said in the long ago. Stand ye in the way and see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way and walk therein. The children of Israel said, but we will not walk therein. And you know what happened to them? They went into Babylonian captivity. 
I'm, I am firmly convinced that what we need to do is plead with people in this nation to turn to God. Let me close by reading for you a statement by Daniel Webster. He said, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we in our posterity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury our glory in profound obscurity. You see, there are catastrophic consequences attached to not honoring the law of God. In our study earlier today, I cited Daniel chapter 4. Because in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel said, The Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. And he said, And he gives it to whomsoever he will. God gave us this country. We are stewards of this nation. And Paul said that what is required in a steward is that a man be found faithful. God gave birth to this nation. And just as surely as God gave birth to this nation, God can kill it. He can destroy it. He can give it to somebody else. Where will America be a hundred years from now? I don't know. I don't know where it'll be 50 years from now. I hope God will continue to bless this nation. And I hope that we will wake up. We are on a collision course with disaster. I'm not a prophet. As Amos said, I'm not a son of a prophet. But I can look back and learn from history, and I know that if God destroyed other nations, brought them down, brought them to their knees because of their evil ways, He can do the same to us. You see, it's His, it's his nation, and He can give it to whomever He wants to give it to. America needs to straighten up and fly right, or we're going to reap some terrible consequences. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we're grateful to live in such a beautiful nation. We're thankful for all the many blessings and provisions that you have so richly bestowed on us. Help us as your people to get this nation back on course. Help us, Holy Father, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, to be what you would have us to be, to live as you would have us to live, to lead others to you. And Father, we pray that you would continue to bless this nation Bless our leaders, bless our lawmakers. May they see the wisdom of following you and following your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. To repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. In so doing, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. If you'll live faithfully, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight, you're unfaithful to his cause, why not come home? God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.